Uh, if you can just take your Bibles, go to Proverbs 20, verse number 6. And I'm just going to get into this. This uh, series on Sunday night, it's been a little different the way that I outline it. I don't really have uh, alliterated outlines. I just really, I'm, I'm teaching concepts. And so you got to pay attention. you got to listen on purpose for this particular series. And, uh, you know, I encourage you, if you have a pen and uh, a paper, just to jot notes down as the Lord speaks to you. There may be something specific that he brings out to you. There's usually a, um, a certain thrust of each lesson that uh, you can learn from it. It's basically revolving around the aspect of surrender and complete surrender. And I, I don't think many of us uh, know what that is, complete surrender. And uh, the reason why we have anger problems, sin problems, all these things is because we really are living a life for ourselves and not for the Lord. We're not really following him the way we ought to. And so anger really, uh, really involves the whole Christian life, our whole surrender uh, to the Lord, and that has a great impact on whether anger, because our anger, it, it actually is an expression of our self-will. That's what it is. It's an expression of our self-will. And so if I live for self and I'm doing things for myself, I probably will be angry a lot. Because when you're living for self, there's all kinds of things that go against that. <laughs> Amen. Uh, other people don't fall in line with you all the time, do they? Or situations, or your job, or this, that, or the other. Uh, but the other side of that, the surrender, it's a matter of falling into line with whatever the Lord chooses for you. Uh, oh, there's no disappointments, there's only God, God's appointments, amen? And that's the kind of mindset you have to develop when you are truly surrendered to the Lord. And so I'm just going to go through a couple things. Today we're going to talk about the heart of the matter and looking at the heart, the, which is really the issue. And this also really talks a lot about uh, everything in the Christian life. It just really comes down to a matter of the heart. Uh, number one, I just want to mention this. Most everybody will declare that they are ultimately good. <laughs> Amen. Nobody walks around and say, oh yeah, I'm a bad person. Now we may say that, you know, kind of when we feel all spiritually, when I make ourselves, you know, oh yeah, I'm humble. But uh, if I were to corner you and say, and you'd say to me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. And you say, yeah, I know you are. Immediately something would kick up and say, what? <laughs> Why would you say that about me? You know, because I'm challenging your humility. <laughs> Amen. And so the thing is, we need to understand that most of us look at ourselves as good. I'm not so bad. And we compare ourselves to other people. And when we do that, we, we obviously look for people that are worse than us. <laughs> so we can feel better about ourselves. And so the Bible says here in Proverbs 20, verse number 6, it says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And so we know that a person that is faithful uh, is understands truly their basic makeup before the Lord, uh, your deficiency, your your uh, your issues in your heart, and you know that you struggle. You know you need the Lord every moment of your life. That's the characteristic of a faithful man. And so we we have ways of excusing our anger. Anger. We say, "Oh, I just had a little time of weakness there," or, "Yeah, I know. You know, I, I don't usually act like that, but it just got to be too much." <laughs> you know. We got little excuses for why we're blowing up uh, periodically, but it really comes down to this, that you, you're not really that good. You're not really that good, all right? There's a heart problem. There's something going on in here, and it's not just the occasional bloop. It's something is happening in you where you're trying to work out your own way, and your own way is failing you. 
you know. And there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, the Bible says. Uh, we have ways of falling back on this argument. I even saw a church with this slogan, nobody's perfect. <laughs> you know, well, nobody's perfect. And, you know, I understand that. I mean, you don't even have to mention that. We all understand that. But when we have to make that a statement all the time, we're usually defending or justifying the fact that we're not doing the things the way we ought to, you know. And that's another way that we try to excuse our, our, our bad nature, our heart problems. And so we, we just can't do that. Okay, we can, we can just set it aside. Nobody's perfect. Now let's take it from there. Amen. Now let's find out why you're blowing up all the time. You know, let's leave that nobody's perfect argument out of there. And so we, we've got to get wise about this because if we're not going to start getting to the heart of the matter, you're going to live your life just justifying your anger all the time. And when you meet God, he's going to tell you real straight that you never had to live that way. You could have had freedom, you know. And so number two, ultimate, <coughs> ultimately, adverse situations will reveal what is in the heart. And the heart reveals the truth of the matter. Okay? So, a, a, a hard situation, an adverse situation, it's not creating the problem, it's revealing the problem. Amen? Hard situations reveal the heart problem. We kind of look at it as, oh, this happened to me, and now I got the right to be mad. No, it happened to you and it's revealing that you already had something in your heart that was wrong because you're angry, <laughs> okay? And so we need to understand, God allows circumstances to take place sometimes to reveal that there's something in our heart. So you can go a long time, everything's going great, I got money coming in the bank, everybody loves me, <laughs> da, 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 da. oh, see, I'm a good Christian, but then something bad happens, and all of a sudden, bah! well, what you've just done is revealed what you really are in your heart. That's what happens. <laughs> so adverse situations will reveal what is in the heart. They don't create what's in the heart. They reveal what's in the heart, all right? Uh, Proverbs 6, 14 says, Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Soweth discord. And so any person that's sowing discord, that's not based on what somebody has done to you. That's based on what is in your heart. <laughs> that's what it says right there. Frowardness is already in your heart, and therefore you are sowing discord. Amen? And so that's why some people don't sow discord. Some people do. <laughs> not everybody does. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7, it says... For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Amen. And so they, they, they talk one way, they act one way to you. They're hypocrites in all reality. They're pretending to be something on the outside. Oh, eat and drink. But on the inside, there's a devious motivation that they're working out in, in your life. And so what's in their heart, that's what they are. That's what they are. So as you think, that's what you are. Amen? Not what you're pretending to be here tonight. Amen? Got your suits on, got your ties on, your dresses on. This is who I am. No, it's not. 
Who you are is what you're thinking. That's who you are. Amen? So that's what you got to be careful of. <laughs> if you got stinking thinking, <laughs> you got to deal with that thinking. You got to change your, your belief. You got to change your doctrine. You got to change your, your ideas that are promoting that kind of bad thought. And so that's what the scripture says, and that's what's in your heart. And so thinking in your heart and communicating what you need to get, uh, what you want, are two different things. And so um, hypocrisy is what happens when your mind deceives others about what your heart is really about. Now, now that this is it. You've got a mind and you've got a heart. Two different things. The Bible doesn't say, if you believe in your mind about the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. It says, if you believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. So, if I ask you how you ought to behave, you would be able to sit there and write an essay on how a good Christian ought to behave. Because you have it all in your mind. Amen? But, does that mean you're behaving that way? <laughs> you know? No, it doesn't mean that. See, your behavior can be opposite of what you tell me you should be doing, but you're doing opposite. That's what the hypocrisy comes. It's a double-mindedness, you see? But what your heart is, that's what you are. Not what you're writing me. <laughs> that's why it's difficult sometimes counseling people. Because when I ask them something, they tell me what they know I want to hear, or maybe not want to hear. They tell me what they want me to hear, so that I will think what they want me to think about them. And the interesting thing is, they know exactly what to say. <laughs> but you know what? The reason they're on the couch, and the reason why they're talking to me, is because there's a behavior that was wrong. But when I sit down with them, they tell me exactly what the right thing is. <laughs> so what I know is this that you can have a thought in your mind and you can have stuff stored up here and you know exactly what the right thing to do is, but the, what you do can be totally different. That's why the Bible says about salvation, believe in your heart. It's not about just knowing about Jesus. It's about trusting Jesus. The things that are in your heart, that's what you're doing. The things you trust, the things you love, that's what you're doing, amen? Not the things you know to be right, Everybody knows what's right is, but they do the opposite. Why do they do the opposite? Because they love what they're doing in spite of what is right. Amen? So you, you have your mind, you have your heart. Two different things, and this is how hypocrisy happens. This is how a double-minded person is unstable in all your ways because your, your mind is not lining up with your heart. You're doing what you know you shouldn't be doing, but then you're trying to pretend like you're doing what your mind knows to do. That's hypocrisy, <laughs> all right? And so I'm going to give you some scenarios here dealing with anger. Now follow along here with me. You're alone. You're driving to the airport. You have little time to get there. Ever been there? Traffic is bad. You're driving the Deerfoot. You're trying to get into the lane to get to the exit, which is fast approaching, and the car beside will not let you in. Been there? Done that? When you try to speed up past him, he speeds up with you. When you see him, it's a teenager. 
when he drives by and you look at him, you make it very plain how disappointed you are in what he just did. You give him a good, some people do worse. That was the first gesture I came when I came to Calgary. That's the first communication I had with somebody coming to Calgary <laughs> is that gesture. <laughs> and I thought, oh, interesting place. But that was Calgary, not Airdrie. Amen. And so uh, you're driving along. And as he goes by, and not only that, the teenager looks at you and smiles. <laughs> what happens? You make a point of showing him your displeasure. He passes, gives you a smirk and waves as he goes by. And anger wells up in you. <laughs> now what you do there, I don't know. Everybody's got their own little thing, what they may do. You may yell, you may say, ah! I don't know. But whatever you do, some people, because they're just absolutely rotten, will pull them over and shoot them. That's how road rage happens. Road rage is a result of that same process that you and I have when we're going to the airport. Amen? Except you may have in your mind something that inhibits you from taking it too far. You may not curse. Uh, you may not give the gesture and those things. But it really doesn't matter. The core issue is the same as the person that when he drives by and cuts him off, stops him, gets his gun, and shoots him. It started the same way with you. With me. All right? That's scenario number one. So the rest of the way to the airport, you're thinking about how that teen should have his drivers taken away. You're saying, you know, one day he's going to get into an accident. Then he'll learn. Or you know what? The police will probably pull him over and get him a ticket. He deserves it. Is that not how we think? <laughs> Scenario number two. Now, picture yourself on the same trip with someone beside you. Perhaps your pastor or someone you respect. When you can't get your exit, you say, Oh dear, I waited too long to exit. <laughs> or, Oh, I, I hope we get to the airport on time. After you drop off the passenger, you begin thinking about that teenager. When you get home, you tell the first person you see about that bad driver. And your anger is just blowing up on you here. Scenario number three, been there? <laughs> the next scenario is you're on your way to the airport. Teenager cuts you off, makes you miss your exit. You can feel that emotion of anger well up strongly inside of you. And instead of cursing at him, you immediately pray. You ask the Lord to save his soul not <laughs> and keep him safe as he drives because he's a madman and give you the spirit of love and forgiveness for him. You also ask the Lord to make sure you get to the airport on time. And then perhaps put on good godly music and never think again on that situation. Does that make you laugh? <laughs> it makes you laugh because you say, well, who in the world does that? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Who in the world does that? Now, 
we can think of ourselves as fairly righteous and good and that only certain conditions provoke us to be unnaturally sinful. And that's the way we think. We think, I'm not so bad, but if there's a certain situation and that provokes me, then I lose it. Right? Folks, you got to remember this. What was in your heart before that adverse situation came was there while you were thinking, hey, I'm not so bad. It didn't just come out of nowhere. It didn't, the situation didn't make it appear in your heart. <laughs> it was already in it. So you may think you're righteous that only certain unnatural conditions may apply to bring out that bear. <laughs> but that bear was there all the time. And that's why you got mad. Amen? Truth of this is that adverse situations are revealing what is already inside. Our adverse, our adverse situations do not cause us to behave the way we do, but rather our character determines the way we behave in any given circumstance. It's your character. It's what's been already ingrained in your heart. The word character means an etching or a carving. So a person's character is basically what you've allowed to be carved into your heart over years. That's how you behave. All right? The first scenario, he expressed himself freely. See, I'm going to give you a couple points about this. Number one, he had a goal. That's one thing he did. He had a goal. This is what I want to do. I want to get to the airport on time, and that was the most important thing to this person in that scenario. Someone thwarted, hindered his goal, and he became indignant. <laughs> that driver is so selfish that he would slow me down. What a selfish teenager that they would slow me down from getting to my goal. You get what I'm saying here? When he saw the response of the teen, his anger became stronger. Not enough to shoot him, maybe not enough to curse him, since he's a Christian, but surely enough to wish harm or a ticket or maybe, you know, up the road, karma, he'll hit the ditch. See? Right? Forgiveness and love were the furthest thing from his mind. He also did not realize the teen was probably a lost sinner that would spend an eternity in the place called hell. His thoughts are perhaps satisfied by the thought of the teen being pulled over or getting in an accident or whatever may happen that'll teach him his lesson. The second scenario had an inhibitor. The provocation was the same with the teenager. It was the same, same scenario, same adverse situation. In an effort not, to, not wanting to look ungodly or offend his passenger, he controlled his response in that situation to, the, to being cut off. This reminds me of you know, being on the job maybe, and there's someone that maybe curses a lot, but when you're around, oh, sorry, 
and they look at that as a righteous thing. <laughs> now, you know that's not righteous. So all they're doing is controlling what's already in their heart, you know. All this guy is doing is just simply controlling what's already in his heart. Um, when he dropped off his passenger, his anger brewed. And by the time he got home, he couldn't wait to tell someone how he was inconvenienced and disrespected. And the focus was still on himself. Now we may say, well, wow, what a great guy to control himself around his pastor. <laughs> it still all had to do with self. Had to do with him, not anybody else. He relaxed. He allowed his true character to be revealed after he dropped off the passenger. Amen? So think about that. Oh, I better behave myself around these people. <laughs> well, if that's the way you are, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your character. That is you. You are what you were before you made the decision to pretend to not be it. You are still that. Amen? Anger is still there. <laughs> Whatever it is is still there. The third scenario, the driver's reaction was not designed to impress anyone because no one saw him and no one heard his prayer. He acknowledged he was becoming angry. He was being honest. See, this is where the critical person or the self-righteous, oh, see, you get angry too. <laughs> We're not saying anybody's perfect here. We're saying that within our sinful dynamic, there's a way to choose to behave. There's a way to choose to live. There's a way to choose to yield yourself and to be humble before your God. We are all have the same nature. So what are you going to condemn somebody for having the same nature you have? The condemnation comes when we don't recognize there's a God and we hurt the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ with our responses to situations. It's not about judging who's worse. This is about judging how does this hurt the work of Christ. Amen. He acknowledged it. I'm becoming angry. But made a choice not to sin in anger, but rather prayed for the teen, became concerned for his soul, asking God to give him a supernatural love, a forgiveness, and grace. Now that may be funny. Say, so, well, yeah, right. <clears throat> that is the normal Christian. The normal one. <laughs> Amen. Gulp, <laughs> preacher, I need revival. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Matthew 5, 44 says this, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those are the words of Christ, and that's what we do on the way to the airport. That's what happens when the teenager cuts you off. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, 
And if there be any praise, think on these things. Each scenario had a specific goal in mind. Scenario one, to get to the airport on time. Scenario two, to preserve his testimony and reputation. This is where many Christians are, scenario number two. Scenario number three, to cooperate with whatever purpose the Lord had for him to experience this irritation in his life. That's a completely different scenario. (laughs) These are three ways you can handle life. You can do it for self and just let your heart reveal all the uglinesses within it. (laughs) You can be concerned of what people think about you even though you know you're not right in your heart. Or you can just say, you know what, Lord? I want to allow whatever happens to me to be used for your honor and glory. I'm going to give you glory in it, and I hope that I can be a good testimony as this happens to me. And none of that, Lord, change me through it. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Amen? Only in the third scenario was there a thought of pleasing God more than himself. Pleasing God. Folks, this is the cornerstone of the Christian life. Everything you do must come down to that particular thought. I want to please God. You know, when you please God, it can bring adverse situations into your life. And it can hurt you. So a lot of people won't do that because it's going to hurt me. So my goal is not to cooperate with God's purpose for my life. My goal is to not be hurt. My goal is to go through life smoothly. What's your goal? We need to make up our mind that our goal is to please God. And if you please God, guess what? You will not be angry. You will not get angry. You know, you'll feel it welling up in you, but you'll catch yourself. And you'll say, you know what, Lord? I want you to take this anger away. Perhaps there's something in this situation that I'm supposed to be praying for. Maybe there's a lost person here, and the devil wants me to blow my testimony. The devil wants me to hurt people in the church. My de- whatever. Your anger will accomplish nothing. Nothing. Except damage the cause of Christ. An orange tree will produce oranges, but if you deprive it of the nutrients or light it needs, it will not produce oranges. You'll only have the tree itself to reveal what it normally produces. When the light and nutrients are restored, it produces oranges again. People may not produce sin without being provoked, but given Financial pressures, maybe a disagreeable neighbor, maybe a lack of sleep, maybe unjust treatment. There could be an instant change of that behavior and we will find we have sinned. Amen? See, we don't have to... (laughs) Folks, just like the orange tree has to have specific uh, parameters in place to produce oranges... Sometimes those parameters have to be in place for your sin to be revealed. But it will be revealed, ultimately, sooner or later. 
Amen. That which is deep inside the heart rises to the surface in a split second and immediately identifies the condition of that heart. Immediately. See, this will help us. <laughs> See, we started with, hey, I'm pretty good. And only, you know, certain things have to happen for me to get angry. And now we're realizing that, you know what? If, or if something happens to me, it's revealing there's something wrong in my heart. You see how that can help you with your anger? <laughs> Amen. You stop the justification. Stop the excusing, you know. Well, this person did this. Well, they may have done that, but they didn't make you angry. You're angry all on your own. That's because of your sin. It's because of your heart. Amen. Jesus didn't get angry, and then he told us, follow my example. So you can't say you have to get angry. You don't. You can't say that God may be this way because he didn't. <laughs> you can't say I can't change because God says you can. So obviously, it's your fault. It's my fault. Amen? When I've got an anger problem. Nobody else's. So, words and actions are like fruit on a tree. They identify what kind of tree it is. Your words and your actions. Not when you're driving with a pastor on the way to the airport. <laughs> but your words and actions after you drop off your passenger. When you, when, you, when, you, when you relax and let your true character be revealed, that is the fruit of your tree. And that reveals what kind of tree you are. Amen? Matthew seven seventeen. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Matthew 12, 20, 35. A good man... Out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Matthew 15, 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These things don't come from people around you. Nobody else made you do that. Nobody is saying, oh, if that person wouldn't do this, I'd be so good. No, you're bad because your heart is bad and you need to deal with your heart before your God. Amen. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment and they still sinned. Environment has nothing to do with your response to situations. What has to do with your response is what you have allowed into your heart. Amen? That's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Amen? So the heart is who we are on the inside, where no one else can see but ourselves and God. The heart is where all your behavior originates. It is a center of our being where faith and love reside as well as doubt, fear, and selfish ambition. It's all right there in your heart. Amen? Nobody did it to you. Nobody's making you do it. <laughs> you know, my husband, he just makes me so mad. No, he doesn't. You're mad in your heart before he did anything to you. He just created the circumstance to reveal what's already in you. Amen? 
And as soon as you get honest about this, <laughs> that's where freedom, freedom can come. <laughs> because any justification, any excuse will keep you from being cleansed by God. Any excuse. It has to be complete confession, a complete surrender, a complete God, I am wrong. No longer my way. Amen. Now it's your way, not my way, your way. So our reaction can happen so fast that we do not realize that we're, there was even a thought or an evaluated provocation in our hearts before we responded. How many of you have responded so quickly that it's almost like you didn't make a choice to respond? Children are like that. <laughs> you go take a kid's toy, <laughs> they don't, it's like they don't even think about it. It automatically, like, bam. My son Johnny, when he's a little boy in Kenora, he had this like big hockey stick that was like twice his length. And one of his little buddies there tried to take one of his toys away. You know what he did immediately? Hit him with a hockey stick. <laughs> it got him to big trouble. But you know what? It wasn't his mind thinking, he just took my toy. What could I do? Oh, I have this hockey stick in my hand. I should maybe whack him with this. No, it was like, poof. Do you know how fast your mind can process? <laughs> Especially if you've got a behavior that has been allowed to continue over time as a child. And you weren't disciplined, you weren't stopped, <laughs> amen? See, if you're disciplined, when those things happen, you immediately, you have something inbred in you by your parents' discipline that causes you to stop. And, and evaluate. Now you may, anyways, hit them with a hockey stick. <laughs> but the parent's input has caused you to take some time with that. You understand? Or maybe even, oh, it's not worth it. I remember last time dad gave me a good whooping. And so then you won't do it. See, that's what it means. When you discipline your children, you'll save them from hell. The Bible says. It says to chasten them betimes. That means early. As soon as it happens, you have to chasten them and deal with it. Not like this dirty world is telling you to do. Just let it go. <laughs> oh, no, it's too hard on the criminals. Let them out of jail. You know, they can do what they want. <laughs> that's the world's mentality. And unfortunately, in church, that's many Christian families' mentalities. When they should be disciplining their kids immediately when they do something wrong. Immediately. I mean, not here in the church where you're in the middle of the, but you take them by the hand and take them to a private place. Amen? They'll know what you mean. <laughs> this is why someone says things like, you made me mad. Well, you thought they made you mad because the process time was so small that you thought somehow some other energy got involved and took over your response. You did something that caused something to take over my life. No. Nobody made you mad. <laughs> Nobody did that. <laughs> that all came from the inside. So you have to stop saying, you make me mad. <laughs> you make yourself mad. No, you don't make yourself mad. You're already mad. And you've been mad all day. You've been mad all year. 
You've been mad for 10 years. Whatever it may be, you're just a mad person. And all that thing did is revealed how mad you really are. Amen? No one, including the devil, makes us sin. Including the devil doesn't make you sin. He cannot make you sin. James 1.14 says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So why does a person get mad? Because of your lust. Your lust. That's a lust of the flesh. Lust isn't always sexual. Lust can be many things. There can be many longings that you have. Sometimes people have a lust of not being alone. So what they do is they unnaturally go try to find company in their life. That's a lust. It's not godly. I have that list I had a while back. There's some 80-some lusts that are mentioned in the Bible. That's a lot of longings we can have in the flesh. It's not our circumstances, but our lusts that are the direct cause of our anger. While we may have a strong emotion in us by adverse situations, it is, our, it is only our own desires and choices that ignite our anger. It's your desire. I need to get to that airport on time. That's the lust. That's the longing. You see, the Bible says that your spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. That means when you go to the airport, there's, there's two motivations you can have. You can have the flesh's motivation, and that could be a number of things. It could be, I need to get the airport on time, or I need to show, I, whatever. <laughs> it's something to do with you. Whatever it has to do with you, that's the flesh. The spirit, if the spirit is motivating the drive, then you're driving along and say, yes, I'd like to get the airport on time, but <laughs> there's a God And if something happens, I have to keep my eyes open for what the Lord is doing here. And what that'll do is it'll keep your fleshly lust from igniting the anger that is within you. You understand? So a person that is angry is a carnal, lustful person. And that's why many times angry people are also immoral people. A person that's given over to immorality usually also battles with anger because they're both the same. The lust is lust. Amen? So, anger originates within. James 4, verse 1. I like this. James is very, very uh, telling when we're looking at this type of teaching here. It says... From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? (laughs) Amen. So where do all your fightings come from? Where do your wars come from? Oh, it's that person over there. I would just be so at peace if that person would stop bugging me. (laughs) No. You're at war because of your lust. That's God's word. 
You can come up with your own doctrine, but it ain't going to stand before the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So if you're in a battle with people, it's because of your lust. It's you. You did it. You're doing it. It's your desire. It's what you want to see take place. I'm in control. It's my way! <laughs> Instead of putting it into God's hands, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to submit it to your way. Flesh, spirit. Amen? You guys keeping up so far? Our hearts are about, I want, I need, and I deserve that's what our heart says. When we believe our desires are something we are entitled to and wrongly withheld from us, we react in anger. Your desires, the things you want, are you entitled to them? The desire itself may not be wrong, but the priority we give that desire, will lead to sin if it's out of whack. It's kind of like a single woman that desires a husband, which is not wrong. That is bred inside of you. God made that in you, if you don't have the gift of singleness, amen, to want to have a husband. Nothing wrong with that. But if that lust gets out of control in the flesh, and you begin to impatiently seek companionship in an unbeliever you've just sinned oh but you know it's going to turn out okay <laughs> it's your way it's your way not god's because he plainly told you only in the lord see but you know what it worked out okay for that person <laughs> number one is this you don't know how it worked out for that person. That person could be way better off if he didn't go that direction. You may be evaluating from a distance, but you're not evaluating from in that heart. You understand? The best thing to do is submit in your spirit to what the spirit wants for your life, and the spirit will always lead you according to the scripture. And if you think somehow that you're going to go off from the scripture and it's going to turn out okay, you are wrong. You're wrong. It will not be okay. Somehow, something will be stolen from you. Somehow, you're going to pay a consequence and that consequence may last your whole God-given life. And sure, if I go through something like that, I'm not going to walk around and admit it. And therefore, I'm going to, everybody that sees me is going to be led astray because I'm not being honest about my mistakes. That's why I say there's a time you go from trash to treasure. <laughs> and it's a very difficult thing when someone hasn't turned their trash into treasure. Because your treasure time is the time of testimony. That's where the things that have happened in your life have become a testimony because now they've become treasure to you. <laughs> if they're still in the trash mode, that means that you still haven't testified because you're still not done with it. You're not finished with it. <laughs> you 
you're still not totally submitted. All of our trash at some point has to become treasure as God's people, and when it becomes treasure, it will become our testimony. And if we don't have a testimony about it, it's still trash, and we still haven't dealt with it. Now, I'm not saying you've got to reveal all the <laughs> dark and nitty-gritty secrets of your life. But you know something? There's a reason why God tells us to testify of his goodness and grace. Because you know what? Other people are looking at your situation. They're saying, you know what? See, they went through that. They're okay. You know what? They need someone to tell them. <laughs> Can I tell you not to do that? Because I'll tell you what I had to go through before I finally came to the point where God showed me the truth and delivered me. And then the children say, oh, let's not do what he did. If your trash is still trash, it's hurting people. It needs to become treasure at some point. You've got to testify. In some way. In some way. That's why when I talk about rock music, I talk about those kind of, I mentioned it over the pulpit. You say, preacher, why would you? Because it's not me, man. I don't do that no more. It's not a part of my life. And I'm telling you what God has done for me so that you can keep your life from that because there's a price for it. Amen? And that's why sometimes we, we don't even tell our children, hey, we shouldn't have done it that way. And they repeat what the parents have done. Because we've never been honest with our children in a way that we can be honest. Do you understand that? They repeat it. <laughs> well, my parents do this. <laughs> they wouldn't have done it if mom and dad would have said, guess what, kids? This is the way that we started living our life. This is the way that I behaved. This is the way we acted. And it was not right. There were great consequences for it. It hurt us deeply. And we've gotten right. The Lord has delivered us. And I want you to have the benefit of that experience in our life where you don't have to go through what I've just gone through. Amen? But sometimes we're so ashamed that we've ever been a sinner. <laughs> we want everybody to think we've always been perfect. <laughs> and you haven't been. Every last one. Y'all got trash. If your trash hasn't become treasure, and if your treasure has not become testimony, then I wonder whether your trash is probably still trash and not treasure. For all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. This young woman, in her self-willed determination to obtain that which we de she desired apart from God, she forsook the God that she professed she loved and trust and is willing to sin to satisfy herself. Folks, when I preach as a preacher, when I give counsel, I may give counsel that will go directly against what you want, <laughs> what you want to hear. But this was what I'll guarantee you. I, I try to the best of my ability not to tell you something that is going to associate with your flesh and something that's going to help you be a better Christian. And you know what? A person that is filled with lust on the flesh side will hate it. They do not want to deal with it. I'm not going to do that because you're not going to tell me what to do. 
because they're so full of their way, they will not even entertain the fact that there could be another way that will give them far greater blessing in their life. Because you don't have the right to tell me what to do and stop me from getting what I desire. <laughs> Lust. That's where the preacher gets in trouble. Amen. I try to somehow gauge that. Is this person ready to hear this? Sometimes when the actions are so bad and I have to confront somebody, I know they're going to cut my head off. But you know what? I'm going to meet God one day for the church. So I have to tell them. And I know they're ready to get the shotgun. Because the flesh says... My way, my way, my way. And I tell them, hey, I know what you mean. I've been there. But your way doesn't fit in God's plan. Your way is a bad way. It's a dead way. It's a way that does not produce fruit. And it's a way that will hurt people around you. And I have to tell you, your way is no way in the house of God. Here is one way, and that's God's way. <laughs> and there's something that isn't God's way. You know what we do? <clears throat> and folks, I've been doing this for years. One by one, we deal with people trying to do their own way. Every month, sometimes I've done it every week, <laughs> you know. Sometimes I can go through two months. But that is the life of a preacher. That is the life of a Christian that's right with God. You're telling people you cannot have your way. You shouldn't want your way. And if you go your way, you're going to get hurt and you're going to hurt people around you. I'm here to tell you there's a better way. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, the more I love, the less I be loved. Because love is telling what they need to know about God's way to get them out of their own way. <laughs> Amen. You get what I'm saying there? <laughs> Anger is a response of the flesh out of a desire to have something in your control and express to those around you that you did not like what happened and you are extremely unhappy about it. I wanted it this way and this person didn't let me have it that way and I just want you to know I'm not happy about this. <laughs> Amen. That expression. <laughs> That's when it wells up and comes on the outside. But it's already in here. It's already in the heart. It's just you want to express to others that you're angry. Some people are manipulated by that. Some people say, oh, well, they're angry. Then we got to give in to that. No, no, no. <laughs> when they're angry like that, you, it's like you to go to a two-year-old. You can't always get your way. Amen? You do that to your kids? You better. <laughs> Amen? Because your kids, all they want is their own way. <laughs> Every day you're saying to them, no, you can't have your own way. It's like this one lady. She had lived her life in that kind of a state. Depressed, uh, totally defeated, walking down the street. She's already older in life. Spent her whole life her own way, <clears throat> walking along calls to God, God, why am I like this? Why, why do I feel this way? 
she sees two little kids on the sidewalk, and one of them is like, and the other one's like an older brother just standing there. So she asked the older brother, what's wrong with him? Oh, he, didn't, he just didn't get his way. And immediately the Lord said, that's you. That's you. <clears throat> you live your whole life wanting to have your way and you're not getting your way and that's why you're so stinking miserable. <laughs> How do I get the joy of the Lord? Working out your way. You know how you get the joy of the Lord? When you finally surrender that God, I'm okay with your way. You don't have the joy of the Lord till that moment, till that surrender takes place. You will never have it. You will know what it feels like. You'll, you'll pretend like it. You'll be happy. Hey, look at me. I'm happy. I love Jesus. But you know, in your soul, you go home and your natural self comes out, that anger is always there. Bitterness. You see that person. You know what they did to me. Look at the way they looked at me. Your way, your way, your way. How dare they look at me like that? How dare they do that? How? I'm entitled to my way! <laughs> That's anger. That's exactly what anger is. <laughs> That's anger. If you're Asa, being told by Hanani, you shouldn't have relied on that king. Hey, you're going to prison. That's anger. If you're Ahab, didn't get your vineyard. A lot of Christians are like that. You're miserable. <clears throat> You'll keep being miserable. You will not have the joy of the Lord. You will not know what the love of God is. You'll not know what the peace of God is until you can finally repent of your way and start living the Lord's way. Amen? Isn't that simple? <clears throat> oh, anger management. This is anger management. No, it's not. It's anger funeral. <laughs> it's anger death. You don't manage anger. What they try to do is sit over here, doing your way. Let's try to manage this. Let's try to manage my response. Oh, when pastor's in the car, let's not yell too much. Let's manage it. <laughs> you know? No, no. There is no anger management. There is only repentance and living the spirit Filled life. Amen? Our feelings and wants become the prime issue the moment we express this anger. Well, I feel, I want, I deserve. We're not concerned about how God wants us to be focused on the matter. Sometimes I look at people and the way they're handling a situation and in my heart, I'm saying, <laughs> have you ever asked yourself what God wants you to do with that? What does God want you to do? What does the Bible say to do? Oh, well, I read the Bible. I'm not asking whether you read the Bible. I'm asking whether you're willing to submit to what God wants you to do in that situation. That's fearfulness. 
<clears throat> it is a futile attempt for you to get what you want through anger. James 4, verse 2, look at what it says. It says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Lord, judge that teenager. You better judge him. I'm being spiritual now. I'm praying. <laughs> Shut that teenager down. It's a bad boy. <laughs> right? Lust. Think he's an answer to that? I had a lady one time. She went to the scriptures and she, you remember the unjust judge? And how she was praying that he would avenge her. Her husband did something wrong. She came, yeah, God showed me in the scripture that I need to pray judgment upon my husband. <laughs> and I said to her, I don't think that's what God is telling you to do. I'm going to keep going to God until he judges my husband. That's what the scripture says. <laughs> you know what that is? Lust. Flesh. But it's so spiritual. Well, you, you desire to have and cannot obtain. You're fighting war and you have not because you ask not. But when you, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. <laughs> you ask amiss. You're not asking for the right thing. Instead of asking judgment upon your husband, Lord, could you help me to be a better wife so I can help my husband be a better husband? Can you give me the grace that I need to handle the trial I'm going through? But if you're praying for judgment, you're praying for fire from heaven, you know, the Lord says, you know not what spirit you are of. This one or this one? You understand? Let's bow our heads. Oh, powerful truth, folks. Powerful truth. This message alone could save your life. It could save your future. It could save your family. This message alone could restore finally the joy of the Lord in your life. But you have to submit. If you're not willing to say, I'm wrong, you're not willing to say, God is enough of my way, if you're not willing to put it in the hands of God and go God's direction, then you're just going to leave the same way you came. 